Hey there, creatives. Thank you so much for your continued listenership of the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. If you've been listening, you know that I'm taking a short break while I get resettled into a new place and uh, just needed some extra time for personal stuff um, and to step away from some of the tasks that take a fair amount of time in my business and the podcast is one of them. And um, so I'm taking a short break and instead of releasing new episodes, we're releasing some Encore episodes. And today is Encore episode two and it is from the Voices from the Expressive Therapies Summit special series uh, number four. And it's called The Final Eighth, Enlist Your Inner Selves to Accomplish Your Goals with therapist Bridget Gaspard. If you missed this this podcast the first time it was aired, um, I really hope you enjoy listening to it uh, this time. I loved speaking with Bridget and learning about the way that she works and how she's made parts work accessible to people through her book. Um, If you haven't um, heard of her or seen the book, I highly recommend it. Um, I got my copy shortly after the interview and um, it's just really fabulous and she's doing fabulous things. So I hope you check out uh, her work and uh, enjoy the episode. Hey there, creatives. Thanks so much for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. I'm your host, Raina Lombardi, and I am really excited to bring this next series um, to the show. It's going to be a special series dedicated to speaking with different uh, people, different therapists uh, involved in the Expressive Therapy Summit. If you've never heard of the Expressive Therapy Summit, it is an intermodal um, international conference uh, that really is dedicated to experiential learning and um, brings together all of the different disciplines in the world of therapy. There are social workers, there's art therapists, dance therapists, music therapists, play therapists, any kind of therapist really imaginable and everybody's sharing their experiential knowledge and hands-on learning um, activities. And it's a really wonderful event. And usually it's four days um, in the fall in New York City. And there is an LA component, which happens in the spring. Um, In this fall, I am interviewing probably, I would say, eight to 10 people um, that are either directly involved in the summit or are going to be presenting on their uh, topic of um, expertise. And um, we'll be learning about their clinical practices um, and what they'll be teaching at the event and so you'll get kind of a snapshot and hopefully in each conversation that we have um, the the key takeaways will relate to the work of creating something out of nothing which is kind of the object of uh, bringing your practice to life or creating that therapeutic tool writing a book 
whatever it is that as a therapist you're passionate about and want to bring to life. And that's really the focus of the Creative Psychotherapist podcast show. Um, in the first episode, I am interviewing Barry Cohen, who is the summit leader. And um, Barry's also an art therapist and a former art therapy educator. He also is the creator of the Diagnostic Drawing Series, which is uh, an art therapy assessment tool. Um, and in our conversation, we'll be talking about how the summit came to be. And you'll also hear a little bit about um, some of the roles that I've played um, over the years because I've been involved in the summit um, since the beginning. And it's something that I'm really passionate about and love. And I think part of being involved in the summit really allowed me to move in the direction that I'm in currently. I don't know if I would be here um, at this point without having participated in the summit and developing it and bringing it to life, sharing it with other people. I was very involved as the social media marketing person uh, for the event for many, many years until um, Laura Bader took over that a couple of years ago for me because I just got too busy with my practice. But I'm hoping that you're going to really enjoy the conversations uh, that we have. And um, so, yeah. So this is going to be the Voices from the Expressive Therapy Summit special series. Let us know what you think. The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of the Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice-building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential-focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative-focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed, using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater impact in their communities, and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now here's your host, Raina Lombardi. Thank you for tuning in to the Creative Psychotherapist podcast. I'm your host, Raina Lombardi, and I'm very excited to welcome my next guest on the show. Um, her name is Bridget Dangle. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. Dangle Gaspard. And she's a licensed clinical social worker and is the author of The Final Eighth and the founder of the New York Boys Dialogue Institute. She is a former performer who earned a master's degree from Columbia University and teaches at numerous professional settings, including Omega Institute. She lives in New York City where she maintains a thriving private practice. Thank you so much for being here today, Bridget. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Ah, so, one of the reasons why Bridget is on the show is she's participating in a special series that we're doing called Voices from the Expressive Therapy Summit. And 
Bridget is going to be presenting at the conference on the topic that we're going to be talking today, which is um, her work uh, about voice dialogue. And so we're going to be talking about the book, The Final Eighth, Enlist Your Inner Selves to Accomplish Your Goals, which is all about that work. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. So voice dialogue is really a revolutionary technique developed by my mentors, Hal and Sidra Stone. And it's a technique where you talk from the self's point of view. We call them alter egos, inner selves, subpersonalities, personas. For us, it refers to the same thing. The idea that each bit of us is, has lots of wisdom and only knows part of the story. So it's a really great technique. It reveals and often releases hidden internal conflicts that get in the way of accomplishing goals. And doesn't, it's a non-judgmental approach. It's like, you may not like a particular self, but even that self has it's got, got clues that you really need to listen to. Mm, yeah, they're all, they're all, they all have like their sage qualities. I love yeah. that. Yeah, they do. And I, some of them are not warm and fuzzy and no. you know, but, but it's really important stuff that you need to know and deal directly with. And so can you explain a little bit what you mean by the final eight? What is that so the, particular? The final eighth is failing within sight of victory. It's for when people work really hard and literally get seven eighths of the way there and then mysteriously stall in front of the finish line, unable to accomplish their cherished goal, whether it's careers, relationships, health, financials, creativity, personal development. And it's a mystery. And, and it, it's very painful. Examples abound of that last little undone bit, you know, the last five pounds you don't lose, or that great business idea you have. Most of the elements are in place, but you just can't finish the business plan that's going to release the funding. The last incomplete assignment that prevents graduation. You know, or oh, that like yes. it in your singing lessons, you get invited to the choir and you don't go and you feel terrible. Mm -hmm. That's the final eight. Yeah, that is it. That's powerful. And I think a lot of us have experienced that in some way or another at some point in our lives. Uh, it makes me think of like people that I hear, they went all the way through school they have completed all the coursework in their PhD program, and yet they're just struggling to get through the last of their dissertation for whatever reason. They like worked so hard for so long. That's exactly the perfect example. It's like almost classic. And I think ultimately it's because crossing the final eighth, crossing that finish line, getting your dissertation finished and out in the world is literally an identity transformation. So somewhere in there, that seven eighths, you have permission. You, the parts of you that are maybe great at planning, let's do research. Oh, let's do more research in terms of the details. Oh, no, no, let's do some even more research. And, but 
the, I, the idea though of going out into the world and having this published dissertation, for example, is exciting, but it's also terrifying for many people because you are more exposed and your arena will be bigger and it probably will be more stressful because cousin of excitement is stress. They're often very related. Absolutely. Even on a sensory level, how we experience them in our body, yeah. they're very similar. It's just, you know, excitement or fear. <laughs> right. And you similar. have to sometimes really check in. And maybe it's a little of both. I also wanted to let you know that the next version of the Creative Practice Builder Mastermind Group will be happening in July, 2021. And so from now until the end of June, um, I'm going to be having short 20 minute um, appointments for folks that are interested in uh, participating in the mastermind group. And so if you are somebody who is starting off uh, the process of creating your practice, um, or maybe you're in the beginning phases and you're kind of going at it alone and you could really use support and encouragement from like-minded folks that are going through the process as well. And of course, you would also um, get lots of resources and support from me. Um, head on over to Creative Clinician cliniciancorner.com forward slash mastermind dash group and you'll find more information about the mastermind but you'll also be able to sign up for one of those um, 20 minute chats and we can talk and see if it is the right fit for you i'd love to hear from you and so yeah Last time, creativecliniciancorner.com forward slash mastermind dash group. And um, you can sign up for one of those appointments there. And I hope you enjoy this encore episode. I think that also really plays into people wanting to leave uh, the comforts and safety of their workplace to um, fully realize their dream of working in the way that they want to in entrepreneurship, publishing a book, um, creating a product, whatever have you. And you speak so honestly, when we do that, we are opening ourselves up to criticism from the world and our peers and, and that's stressful. It is. And also, I actually have this example in my book, I, I, which I won't go through the whole thing, but basically, I was working at a, a wonderful clinic, but full time as a psychotherapist. And I reveal that a part of myself, when no one was around, I was alone at work, it was the end of the day, got so angry, literally threw something and started a cascade of things breaking. So it was embarrassing to me, I'm telling wow. you now. So that was a disowned self, as we would say in voice dialogue. But I had started to be there too long. And so 
I knew I was aware of headaches and not being as happy as I once was, but I had all these cells, but keep going and it's good experience. But really it was about the fear of going out on my own. Well, that anger piece that really embarrassed me actually within a short period of time is when I went into my private practice. Wow. So it's transformational. Yes. And so even though the actual experience of having my anger self come out and, and shock me, um, it, it was the right thing. Like talk about not a warm and fuzzy self, but mm -hmm. it's like, when am I going to go into new pastures? Like my, that part was just tired of waiting. You know, I call it the mirage goal. Oh yes. And you eventually some cells are tired of the mirage goal because of course you never get there. Yeah. And that's part of the seven eights. Oh no, no, no. Just do a little more or a little, and you never make the transformational steps. You never enter, say, a private practice where the other part is, it is up to you. And you can't blame your boss or those parts that are used to hiding behind, you know, someone else messed up. Well, what if it's your practice? The, you have, and you will mess up, right? Oh my gosh. All the time. All the time. <laughs> but that's so okay. Exactly. And you have to learn that it's okay. And, and so the process of voice dialogue, you don't have to aim for compassion. Somehow it, it's like a side effect of the work. You just understand these parts better and have more emotional compassion for them. I like that. So it really, um, it is a full on act of self-compassion to really do the inquiry to identify all those selves. Yeah. Right? To, to recognize them, to honor them, to see them, uh, to be with them, hear them. Yeah, I love that. And also in voice dialogue, the communication of a self may not be verbal because mm -hmm. you were talking about body. So uh, mm -hmm. if you go to a self in, in voice dialogue, you, stay, you start in the center, but every time you go to a self, you move to a different place. The idea is that that way you separate more. So when you come back to center is when you process it. So let's say, I'll just show you now, if I'm in center and I want to go to uh, a responsible one, which is one of my primary selves. Um, so I would move over and talk about Bridget in the third person so that I'm the responsible one. And you'll see my physiology is different. And, and here is the boss. Here's the list of things to do. Uh, who's the boss of Bridget? The responsible one. I know you have a boss, an inner boss. And so, but with voice dialogue, I don't say, hey boss, could you give her, a, you know, she needs some vacation. As I facilitate me, the responsible one, I want to hear more. And in my book, I give step-by-step how to do that on your own. Basically, oh. it's a way to help people do the voice dialogue if they don't have access to, to a facilitator. And so with so me as a responsible one, I'm going to say I care about this and I care about that. And, and I want to hear more as the facilitator, not can you calm down? And what's my history? What are my early memories? Where do I live in the body? What's my deepest fear? And in terms of the, the final eighth goal, how do I feel about the cherished goal? I may not like it, or maybe I'm the one that's totally for it. We come back to center. First of all, you take some time to physiologically feel the difference. 
between being in the responsible self and now me here in center, we call it the aware ego position because the idea is integration that I now can pull in the energies I want. And it's uh, amazing how much I learn. And then from here in center, I can say, wow, I do need a, you know, a day off a week or whatever I decide. And then I get to decide the gift of the responsible one, but you know, there, there's also a sting, like maybe I don't get enough sleep, I don't get enough rest. And then we could go to another part, then we'd move over and it could be fatigue. And literally someone might almost like just stay on the floor. And fatigue may stay here because responsible one is just, I'm holding Bridget's fatigue. And so with voice dialogue, let's say I'm a fatigue self and I really don't have much to say. I just slow down as a facilitator. It's about the Bridget learning about me. It's not, I don't have to communicate. So it's so physical sometimes and energetic. Then you come back to center you feel the expansion and now you have a relationship and can dance between the opposites and um, all of its body centered in a way, because where do we feel fatigue? In our body all over, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like, it sounds really dynamic and engaging and, and powerful. Yeah. Um, so much embodiment happening in the way you're working. Yeah. It, and the shifts are really quick because of course we love our intellect, but the, so we might go to an intellectual self, but it's so such an experiential experience and intellect is only a really a very small, exactly a small part. Small part. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Wow. So we can learn a lot from our parts and in basically how, how they apply to the way we operate in so many facets of life. I imagine parts, these parts are also, um, you know, present within our relationships with other people. I mean, we're talking about goals here, but I imagine, um, there's a whole host of work that we could do with these parts about the relationships that we have with others. Oh, 100%. In the voice dialogue world, Hal and Sidra Stone created this diagramming technique that is amazing. We call it a bonding pattern. So you can literally log the parts of you that get triggered when your boss does X or your partner does why. And so once you can diagram and say, oh, you know, when my partner uh, smiles, then my inner little girl is just so happy. And, um, and then we keep this positive bonding pattern. Positive because it feels good, not because of some moral what's better or what's worse. But then if a relationship is only limited to the parts of each person where it, we're all good and it's all sweet and honey, as you know, that is just as bad as a, a corrosive relationship where it's just two, where two people with the parts are just attacking each other. Mm -hmm. So you're exactly right. And the idea that in a relationship, you can expand your own access to different selves, as can the person you're in relationship with. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So why do you think that um, people don't reach the finish line? What's happening with these parts that's impacting our ability to, to move forward? So we, we, the healthy personality consists of multiple selves. That's the premise of voice dialogue. This is a, a healthy model. Mm-hmm. And so we have early parts that love our caregivers, as you know, the attachment. And even if the caregivers are just not very good at caring or actively cruel or somehow abusive, there are parts of ourselves that still love them but they've taken in the negative messages of those early caregivers and unconsciously in an unconscious really act of loyalty to these early caregivers, those parts want to make it true. So if those parts grew up, if the household believed things don't work out or a fool and his money are soon parted or that's for girls, but not for boys or any of those things that just are part of the culture of the household. There's not, it's not, it's normal. And then some of that might go into core negative beliefs. Like I'm bad. I'm not good enough. These are so painful, but those parts have a distorted loyalty. Like if I learn from my caregiver that I'm bad, well then I should be bad. Cause that's what they want <laughs> is the childish but very strong logic. So what happens is you get seven eighths of the way there and you've got permission somehow to work hard, whatever it is, but you've got permission to go this far. But then you rub up against this really identity, this attachment to these negative beliefs. So if you can be a contender, but you can never be victorious somehow, then suddenly it's like you're locked in a double bind between the parts of you that are like, no, we can do this. And I believe we can. And by the way, I did a lot of work and learned a lot of things versus, yeah, but no, I'm, I'm telling you the world is unsafe. And, and anyway, you are unlovable. And it's like, oh. And so what my book does is like you said earlier, you get to identify the different parts, which that alone starts to loosen the double bind. And then you upgrade with lots of love those parts like that may be true that you grew up thinking that was accurate but it was never accurate and you bring them up to date and this is where grief work often comes in yes absolutely I can see that that's why and then again the compassion when you realize wow The parts of me that I was so mad at, like the resistant parts that were in my way because I couldn't get there, you realize they did it because they didn't know better and they (laughs) wanted to keep you safe. Every single part, no matter how actively dysfunctional, their motivation is pure. They want to keep you safe, keep you not abandoned and keep your vulnerability somehow protected. And if it means that you have to not be victorious from those parts of you, that's fine with them. They care about safety and they do not care about victory. So in voice dialogue, you learn what they care about and then they relax because you are now taking care of 
the things that they're concerned about. It's like adulting. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, and I, like I see, it's obviously I see all of this stuff play out with clients, right? Like you see where they get stuck and you're like, oh my gosh, like you're like, you've, you've, you're almost there. You've got it. Yes. Like, you know what to do, but those old, those old parts are, are still playing their role and they're not able to, you know, quiet, quiet the voice enough to push ahead and say, Hey, it's okay. I'm going to be all right. And then in voice dialogue, the part that says, no, you're not going to be okay. I would say, okay, let's talk to that part. And again, I, and then that part's like, whatever, um, but very worried about something. And in fact, with one client, um, she, she was moving up in her field. She was actually a performer. And there was this part, and I'd worked with her for a while. Same thing. She kept moving up, uh, really worked hard her parts were getting bigger. She was getting real contracts. And, but then there was this stall and this part said, if she gets any bigger, she's going to have a drinking problem. Now, I'd worked with her for a while. I didn't wow. know about the problem. And then when we went back to center, she wept because that part was correct. Suddenly the whole focus of our work changed and we worked on how can you, if you do get bigger, if you choose to continue in this way, how are you going to take care of this? What, you know, what skills? And we ended up skills that she really didn't have in a way I wasn't aware, boundary making, rule setting. And she, that was not what she grew up with in a household where enmeshment was encouraged and where there was alcoholism in the house. But that self actually was the key. But if you were to say to anybody, be an alcoholic or be a star, it's like, okay, um, we're going to not be an alcoholic. And if you're going to, if a star means you're going to be an alcoholic, let's yeah. back up because it's not worth it. Oh my gosh. I got the goosebumps when you said that. It was chilling and so powerful. And I think it just really speaks to this type of work and and how profound it can be for people. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm I'm glad she was or he was able to find that and access that. And also before there was a drinking problem. So it was easier to deal with. It's not like you have to go do detox and go backwards. It's like, oh I see. We need to actually cultivate selves and get you some skills. Sometimes it's as simple as that. Oh, you don't know how to run a business? Well, then you should take some online courses and literally cultivate or conjure a business person in you and make it an adventure. You know, if you don't have the skills, it's not a mystery, go get them. Right, it just becomes a new, a new aspect of the self. You realize, okay, well, here I am, I think. I started off as a therapist and that was my identity. And, and I remember like leaving another practice to open my own and, and terminating with um, a client, young client who was very sad. And the mom said, well, she wants to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, I just, I want to work in the way that I want to work at that point. 
I had not connected that aspect of the self yet. I hadn't embraced that part of myself as an entrepreneur, that identity. Perfect example. So much so that you, even when someone else saw it, her mom, your client's mom, you're like, no, no. And we call those the hidden selves. They're hidden to you, even though the world is like, you're going out on your own. Yeah. That's, that's And then the excitement, I can see it in your face. Like then you connected with your entrepreneur and look at you, podcasts, yeah. your own business. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a growth process for sure. And it just, it took a while for me to embrace and, and really recognize that it was there all along. I just didn't, I didn't see it. It was hidden to me. Um, but I had been very entrepreneurial in other ways, but I didn't see it as that. And what was, like, do you have an early memory of that self in you, even though you weren't aware of it? Um, gosh, well, you know, I think um, growing up, I, I was always thinking about creating things for sure. Um, but probably in like college years, um, creating, say, a professional uh, student association at the college that I was at, which didn't exist. Um, and, and, but I didn't consider that to be entrepreneurial then, but now looking back, I see, no, that was actually very entrepreneurial. Um, it didn't exist. And then it did because of you, that's the definition of an entrepreneur, but it's, it's so interesting, right? you're like, no, I just yeah. did that organization. Not right. Yeah, not I did that organization. Oh, I just sold my art online. I had an Etsy store. I just sold my art online uh, for a few years <laughs> or, or like in some shops around town. But I was an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other thing why I really love voice dialogue is so much of it is exciting. The hidden parts of us are scary, but they're also what Jung would call the golden shadow. The other part of the work is you get to meet your visionaries, your sages, your entrepreneurs, which I'm sure you have a visionary. You couldn't not, even if you are not aware of it, given what you just said. And so part of the process is finding your gold and finding your strengths. Like, oh, and it's, it's so empowering. And I yeah. love helping people feel empowered in that way. Yes, that's the, I, I love that too. I feel like that's part of the drive to do the work and you know, to do the podcast, really. I, I want to empower other therapists to say like, if you're not feeling comfortable where you're at and you're feeling stuck, there are other ways for you that, that you can help others in the way that you want to help others and not feel bound by the system. Yes. Right? Yeah. And, and that is so empowering. It's such an empowering place to be. I love it. I mean, um, I found voice dialogue basically through synchronicity. I was performing. I was a New York performer. And um, I was reading a book, John Bradshaw's Healing the Shame That Binds You. Oh, it's incredible. It's, it's probably 40 years old at this point, but it's, it's a classic. I can't recommend it enough for both therapists and clients. Um, so at that, 
it, towards the back of the book, he lists what I don't like to call alternative therapies, but that's what he called them because he had to. And voice dialogue was described maybe three or four pages. He gave to a lot of different types of therapies. So if you think about it, he wrote it in the 80s maybe. He, it was quite revolutionary. And I read this thing called voice dialogue and it just sprung me alive. And so I'm like, I'm calling that 1-800 number because that's what you did then. Oh my gosh, totally. Yeah, and I said, who's doing it in New York? I wanna learn, and that was that. And that was 1995 that I started voice. It's just being facilitated in it. And then I did it because I found it so helpful as a performer so that you could also actively use voice dialogue absolutely as a creativity tool. And so if like, for example, um, I get, was asked to audition for say, I don't know, like a, a sexy, sassy character. If I don't have access to that energy, I'm never going to get the part. But you also want to be able to maybe do the, the librarian uh, who is cool as a cucumber. And so voice dialogue helps you get into the cool, uh, maybe contained self. And so I actually took to it more for that reason. But what I ended up stumbling upon, synchronistically, was the healing power. And then as I took these trainings and watched people's healings, that's how I transitioned out of performing because I got so fascinated by the healing aspects, even if it was for performing. Like there's no bad way to use voice dialogue, but that's why I decided, okay, I wanna go get a master's in social work, which was in New York, the quickest way to become a psychotherapist in private practice at the time. And I got into Columbia, which I was great. So I got a good clinical background, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavior therapy. So talk about selves I never had. I got training in areas that just, I, I didn't know. And I was so happy. I even value it more now looking back than when I was going through it. And I valued it. I loved it going through it. But at sometimes I'll be like, oh, okay, that's a core negative belief. Let's. So now I'm able to synthesize where those different modalities work if I'm working just clinically. But more and more that line just blends. It's about creativity and expression and fullness of being. And sometimes mm -hmm. I think depression is the right response. If you're depressing yourselves and you're not living, I'm like, well, good thing you got depressed because if your core negative belief is true and you really aren't good enough to do the things you want to do and you don't deserve to, well, then depression makes sense because why bother is the right response. But the great news is those core negative beliefs aren't true. It's true you made a lot of decisions based on it that maybe now you're grieving that you did it, but the depression often lifts when it's like, oh, life doesn't suck and then you just die like no you just die but life can be wonderful yes it can super exciting and full um if we're if we're willing to to go there and do the work and be vulnerable i mean it takes a lot of vulnerability too to expose these parts of the self that maybe we haven't wanted to befriend or admit that we're present within us. Completely. 
it's very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I always um, tell clients that, you know, the work of healing only happens when we're willing to be vulnerable, right? Like you can't, you can't grow without it. No, no, you can't. And I always say it's like that's, and that's maybe part of the final eighth too. Even if it's not that the victory line is like right over there, but that stuckness is because you're at the end of where you can go with your current set of skills and personas that you use what we might call primary cells, the cells that you lead with. Mm -hmm. And so if you, you simply can't move to the next level unless you get vulnerable and find out what these other parts are. So you, I sometimes envision it like literally your foundation gets bigger. You can't go to this next step with your itty bitty selves letting you have like two inch by two inch space. Mm -hmm. You have to go to the cells that are scared to say, whoa, excuse me, I need a skyscraper. And I'm saying it's sort of flippant and funny on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's incredibly vulnerable to touch into those selves, to give yourself permission. Like, wow, I could just like, I could just build a business where I love it and it reflects me. So true. It is scary. It is scary. It is scary because all of the what ifs come up like, well, who is really going to come and see me? I mean, they come and see me here because they're not, you know, paying for it at this agency. We're giving these services away or it's a grant services. So, you know, they don't, the, all of those kinds of questions start to pop up, I think, for, for people. Um, maybe not everybody, but for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah. And also even so in voice dialogue, even that self that's like, well, they're coming because, you know, it's free. If we were to, we might talk to that self and I like to stay a little longer with selves because what that self is doing is minimizing your value, right? Yes, totally. To keep you safe. No, being small is safer. And so once you get past the concern, like, so you start to pick up like, that casual comment with one line of, oh, but they're just coming because they, it's free. Often underneath that is the world of those selves that are keeping you small. And they often show in those little comments and you realize, wow, that self just shut you off. Oh yeah, absolutely. That, that will limit you from taking the risk. Um, and, and perceiving that there's so much, um, instability if you go out on your own. And I'm hoping that maybe people are seeing that that's not so true through our, the current situation, um, where a lot of places that were salaried positions aren't so stable. Right. Right. But I don't know about you, but we've been busy this whole time. <laughs> oh, I've, yes, I'm at 110% capacity. Yeah. yeah. And it's lovely, but I, I'm referring out, which I also like because then I love, I believe in the sharing economy. Like it comes back. Absolutely. So, um, 
Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I hope people see this as the opportunity it is. And also, the online education world is something like a $3 trillion business a year. And we are part of that. It's not like where I think when people hear the word education, they think universities, and that's one absolutely. But education is also personal growth. And, yeah. and that market is there. So if, and it's never been easier and it's not easy. I'm not, you know, minimizing the journey, but look at this technology and ways and, and depending on time zones, you're not even limited now to your city. Yeah, no, it really is incredible. The opportunities that are available to us. And as therapists, I think we, we have, such vast knowledge on the human experience that can be applied in so many different areas of life that you don't necessarily have to be doing therapy per se. Right. You, you know, you could be doing these educational courses or workshops that at the core come from your therapeutic background and are definitely going to be life enhancing to the people that you're teaching to and speaking to. Um, but it, it totally shifts how you think about how we're working, right? We're no longer working with the one-to-one hour right. model. Right. Right. And yeah, exactly. And to teach mindfulness or those kind of things. And then again, people are empowered and it's, it's, but it, the transition, I guess, in a way that we're talking about is the perspective shifting and people realizing and wow. Okay. Like this is an opportunity. Um, and the, and, and then asking yourselves, well, what do I want to teach? And don't I, a big advice I would give, you can get out a cookie cutter. That's no, what do you want to teach? Not what does the world need? The world needs everything. So what do you want to teach? And that's hard for a lot of people. Well, let me yeah. look out there and see what's going to interest you. Yeah. Right. What's your passion? What are you really knowledgeable about? What's a lived experience that you've gone through that connects and taps into the thing that you're passionate about? Because it's in the stories. It's in our own story that people connect with. People want to hear a hero. You know, that that's why the hero's journey is so darn popular. Right? Like we, <laughs> we, we want that story, we, we want to be victorious. We want to move to the, to the eighth. It's true. We do because they are, I mean, biologically, we have developmental urges. We could even look at this from a psychotherapeutic point of view, but it's, it's true. Um, and, 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 and the hero's journey is the perfect example. I, I think it's, it's like archetypal to humankind because there's always been that tale in every culture. And mm -hmm. I like to tell my clients, I'm like, in any hero's journey, 
from whichever culture. There's never one teacher, right? The rabbit helps you find the carrot to eat when you're hungry in the field, but then drops you off at the stream where the fish helps you cross. And then the bird gets you up to the mountain. And so I always like to say, so your hero's journey also has to include different people and different ways, whatever that is. And then, like you said, the fullness of your own hero's journey, that what you learn from the rabbit and the fish and the bird, then you get to share. Yeah, yeah. And, and it goes back to what you were mentioning, this idea that um, in order to really do that and, and to, to live fully, we have to allow ourselves to be larger. We, we can't be smaller anymore. We can't hide in the room and you know, right? Like I've heard people say, well, do I have to have a website? (laughs) But wait, it's 2020 and they're still saying that? Yes. Yes. Okay, next question. (laughs) Yes. But but I think that it speaks to that that part. It does. Because it's terrifying. Because in fact, a website, even a one pager, it's a profile. And people can find you. And for a lot of inner parts, that is terrifying. And I think one of the big unspoken things is envy. And so I think you there's fear of envy, but both sides. That's the secret people don't understand. People, it's very painful. I often deal with envy. And we go to the part that envies. But the other part is being envy is as painful. And so when you go out, let's say you put your website out and then you get really full and your friend who you used to share coffee and kvetching is not interested in Java and joy because she or he is so jealous. Um, I think there's also a lot of fear of envy and how to handle it. And I have a whole chapter in my book about that because I think it can't be, oh, I hope people don't envy me or I, when I get envy, then I shut down because it's too painful. Like it works both ways. So I've got a whole chapter on preparing for envy, whether you're getting envied mm-hmm. or and or envying because both are going to happen. And I think that's one of the things that people don't talk about because it's, it's taboo almost. And it's like, I should be more politically correct. Envy, I'm a feminist, I don't envy, but it's not true. There yeah. are parts of you that do, and there are parts that often are more scared because in they have a history of triggering envy in others, which feels like hate sometimes. So that's all of that plays out in whether or not to get a website. I completely agree or yeah. it can play out. Oh, sure. I, yeah. Get a website to have your business cards and hand them out to, to set up a, a practice or to write that book, whatever that creative endeavor is, it requires us to market ourselves. It requires us to be seen, to be visible without being seen. Then we can't serve. Wow. Yeah. Right, they're 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 reciprocal. (laughs) Yeah, so so I I, I agree, and I hadn't thought about it um, in in the way I'm thinking about it now that I just heard you talk about 
that piece of how painful it is to have other people envy um, what you're doing, but it, it makes sense because there's a sense of if somebody's envying you, um, they're minimizing your journey and the effort and the labor and the sacrifices that you've probably made in your life in order to achieve and reach these goals that you have that they're, they're envious about. So they're not, they're not seeing the fullness of you. And that's painful. Very painful. And going back to the early part with that bonding pattern. So let's say I've got selves in some, uh, I've got selves in me that makes someone else envy me. So then if I'm not conscious, I'm like, oh, I don't want to hurt this person. I'll be less than for their comfort. Mm. So again, a distorted act of loyalty. In fact, notice, I don't know if we're, it's like, I saw that disappear. And, and you're right. You can't have these parts disappear if you're going to serve because this person hasn't done their work. And what they see is their own core negative belief. I will never have that because I am not worthy or whatever core negative belief they're holding and then projecting onto you. Right. And they have to get vulnerable about the pain and visit their own envy to see what's underneath and then give themselves permission in ways that they see the other person giving themselves permission. So envy often is also, you're watching someone, if you envy someone, because they have given themselves permission for something you won't give yourself permission to. Oh, she's always taken over this room. Oh, she dances and then there's like no room for me on the floor. And, and it's, it's like, so really that person has given themselves an, uh, permission to dance like a mad woman. And a part of you wants to feel that free, yeah. but you're not letting yourself. So you judge that person. Mm. And so judgment and envy are often quite entwined. And that's one of the things in the book, I tease them out into different selves. Yeah. Yeah. And the judge exists within us all. And right. so does envy, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I feel like, I think maybe I said that about the judge because obviously as therapists, part of the work that we do is about really being non-judgmental about others. And, and sometimes there's this expectation when therapists see other therapists act out in a judgmental fashion that it creates this, um, dissonance or, 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 or confounding because, oh, well, we're supposed to be non-judgmental and here's this therapist that's being so judgmental, but we're failing to recognize that the therapist is only part, one part of all of the selves and the judge is there too. Exactly. And also then when I, cause I also do supervision with other therapists, I might say, so that as a therapist, that part that judges the client, that's your counter transference. And that's another place where voice dialogue really works with so many modalities. So what part in you, so let's go to that judge instead of say, oh, I'm not supposed to be, I'm not supposed to judge as a therapist. Mm -hmm. So you go to the judge, but then you also go to that part that has this rule. Excuse me, therapists do not judge. They are forever compassionate and uh, if you don't do that, you are an utter failure. 
I'm just saying. And so again, all this constriction in the body, so the therapist ends up feeling really in their own double bind. Yeah. So I always like to say with therapists, you don't act out on your judgment. You hold it. You make, keep it as part of the energy in the room. You see if there's something you need to intervene with, but you don't have to do it from the judge part. But that judge that might be saying, you know, I think that client drinks too much, let's just say, then you can hold that as the therapist and say, okay, thanks for the wisdom. Because the other thing is the judge isn't necessarily the enemy. That judge is looking for things. So you get to get the intel, but you don't have to act out in the same ways because mm -hmm. you've now got access to these selves. And then maybe as a therapist in the session, you'll, it'll unfold and you don't have to do it from the judge, but you can say, well, are you, aren't you, you'll actually maybe the, the, the uh, patient client will have said something about the boss judging her coming in late and maybe because she had a hangover. And that's a perfect place to say, well, so what are you going to do about that? So that you can therapeutically, because of the role you're playing, use the information you have. And to me, that's the difference. Now, if mm -hmm. I snap because I'm a human, then as a mm -hmm. therapist, I would bring that in and own it because you can model that like i own that i just crossed a boundary and let's talk about it of but sometimes you can just use it and go all right you know this, this yep i feel the judgment let me see where this plays out because it's gonna uh, yeah. arrive absolutely no that's such a beautiful illustration um and i was thinking about it more in terms of like i know i'm on a lot of um like therapist facing um, Facebook groups that are for therapists about different topics. And I see this, the, the judge coming out in the dialogue between therapists and a lot of like shame throwing for, you know, different decision making or, or um, opinions about uh, certain things, or even somebody asking a question, which is always like heartbreaking because you never want to shame somebody for asking a question. They don't know they're, they're, they're seeking guidance and support. And, you know, we want to empower them so that if they are making a, an error in, in like an ethical error or something, we want to empower them with the, the tools and resources so that they can move forward um, in, in the best way. Um, I always come at it from the perspective of, you know, we're all doing the best that we can. And no matter how much we've studied, we still miss stuff. Because we're human. Yeah. <laughs> and there's no certification that's going to free you from your humanness. <laughs> no, no. Well, I completely agree with you because um, questions reveal, questions are vulnerability too. They reveal what you don't know. So I completely agree. And anyone who asks a question is being inherently vulnerable because they're letting you know they don't know mm -hmm. and they should be absolutely supported for that yeah yeah but here we are like we, we too as therapists we we have all of these parts of self that um are present um both in sessions and out of sessions and um I feel like this is incredibly beneficial, um, an incredibly beneficial approach, especially how you spoke about it in, in the use of supervision 
and, and thinking about your role as the therapist in the room, but also all of yourselves in the room with the, the client and all of their selves. Exactly. Exactly. Because Ooh, the other so thing exciting. therapists do is judge themselves for judging. And I'm like, don't, that's, that judge, because all selves have wisdom. So then that, again, lets a therapist have their own compassion um, so they can be more present. You're exactly right. Mm -hmm. And you're right. And then again, these selves with those selves. Ah, man. I, <laughs> I am excited for your book to come out. I know it's not published yet, but right? It's not. It's coming out this fall? This fall. Fall 2020. I can't wait to get it after our conversation. You can order now, actually. I, I think I will when we're done with our recording. <laughs> um, so what else do you think might be beneficial from these, uh, the, the, the selves work and, and the voice dialogue work for um, therapists that are really trying to achieve their goal of, of branching out and doing their own thing? That's a great question. I think you talked about having to go back to yourself. And I think that's where you start. What is your passion? And I think a lot of us, it's, we're waiting for permission. We're, that's how education was. Does the teacher like what I have to say? And, and I think we, a lot of those selves are still at play and, oh and they're yeah. wonderful selves. And so where, where are your visionaries? Like, and the, I love the exercise, for example, of what would an ideal day be for you? Skip how to get there. That's for later. And one of my favorite assignments, which anyone can do, is you go to your visionary, say, or the one who loves to create, whatever words come up, and then you draw or write as that self, not from that self's point of view, not talking about the visionary. And so again, even in the privacy of your own room, you'd go, I'm the visionary, and maybe I'm like, okay, let me think. And I get my pen and paper. Perhaps you do a timer. You know, people do the timed writing, whatever that is. So mm -hmm. as the visionary, my perfect day, X, Y, Z, you come back. And that's got to be some of your blueprint. Because mm -hmm. once you get your magical blueprint of what your visionary is seeing, like you did with the association, it didn't exist. And then it existed. That's what you have to understand. It doesn't exist because only you can do it. If someone else does a voice dialogue practice, it's going to be terrific, but it's going to be a little bit different than mine. And that, yeah. that's okay. So then you look at this blueprint and then your, your pragmatic selves can say, all right, you know what? Maybe I'll try to clear a Saturday afternoon and throw a workshop and see what happens. And, you, and then you get those pragmatic selves to help you and you learn as you go. Because the other thing is you don't have to jump from, um, you know, into the ocean. No. You can step into a puddle and go, oh, that's what the water feels like. Okay, go at your own pace and see what you learn. So that's what I would say. 
embody these parts that even if this like a frustrated parts, let it tell you why it's frustrated. Well, I hate having to be on time. Bah, 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 bah. Okay, you come back to center and then you might say, well, if you hate having to be limited to time, are you sure you even want a private practice? I mean, that is know. so true. That is so true. Yeah, because we're still on the timeline. We're still doing yes. the 50 minutes or hour, hour, whatever, you know, that is. So that's so, yes, because you have to be on time for your clients. Yeah, and you break open your vision. You're like, oh, well, if time is really what's annoying me, how else can I use my therapeutic skills, my creative skills? There's now, I got the Expressive Therapy Summit is my, my favorite summit in the world, but there's echotherapy where you go out into nature. Maybe yes. that's what someone chooses to do. And so the only time is you have to meet at the hill at two o'clock. But you don't even let your participants tell their family when you're going to get home because it's not clear. When we're done with nature is when you get home. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so then you love your day and you can handle two o'clock, but not two and then three and then four and then five and then six, for example. I went on an echo uh, class through the Expressive Therapy Summit in Central Park in the middle of New York City. I'll never forget it. It was wonderful. Yeah. And I'm a, I have like, as a former performer, a lot of glittery selves. Do you know that I, where I went on my walk, I came back with all this glitter. Other people came back. I know. How wild. What you need, even in the big city of New York City. So I really mean break open everything. Mm -hmm. I and love that. See what really resonates. And it'll be so beyond what your like thinking selves, and we love them. It's just that they can't see because they're thinking selves. Right. Yeah. And there's so much freedom when we're just when we when we just be we think about it from a playful perspective. And I'm just gonna play, I'm gonna experiment, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this out and see what happens. Um, and then we learn from that trial. Okay, this this worked, this didn't. You know what? I really actually didn't like that. I like I felt so terrible afterwards and tired and that's not really what I want to do, but that's important information too. It's vital, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing with permission. You get to say, "Oh, you know, I physiologically for some reason don't enjoy this." Great. Never do it again. You know? Yes. Can, why? Right. And and when you're when you're doing your own thing, you totally get to make that decision. Right? And and I I agree with you about the the eco experience. I love doing that. My husband has a boat charter business here in Florida where we're at and I've been fortunate that I've been able to do and pair some of the therapy work with the with the boat and um, done groups for a substance abuse treatment facility where we took clients out on the boat and um, did like mindfulness exercises and really it was an exercise and how do we recreate without um, using and for a lot of people that was their first time being on a boat going to the beach um, without using. And it, it was, 
beautiful. And it was it, the, the conversations that emerged in that environment were so powerful, meaningful, um, and deep in the way that they never were when I would go and do art-based groups at the facility itself. That makes such sense. Right? That's yeah. Extraordinary. And what a blessing for you. That was like, awesome. Oh my gosh. I hadn't thought of boat therapy. I love it. <laughs> but of course you have the sea you or, or the water. Yeah. And yeah. you have wind or not wind, but the elements. Mm -hmm. Dolphins. Oh, dolphins. Dolphins. Yeah. Um, just amazing. One trip, like these people were so sullen and just really um, just not in a good space. And there was a, a pod of dolphins and they were kind of off in the distance. We stopped the boat. They swam over to the boat and they were popping up, looking up out at us from the corner of their eyes. And I swear everybody, all of the people that were on there that were so disconnected, completely became alive. Their affect completely shifted. And, um, and it just was transformational. And they stayed with us for quite some time, just hanging out, just looking at us, doing some jumps, and then they, they swam away, they get far in the distance, and they like shot up out of the air, like just this crazy show. It was amazing. It would, and like you could never get that in the therapy room, but we were able to talk about how they were able to be present and living in the moment during that experience where you normally... It, it's so hard for them to be present. They're just shut moment. off. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was incredible. And also medicine. I mean, <laughs> that's in like sacred medicine. Like they yeah. were, like those dolphins said, oh, let's go. They need a little of our magic and our medicine. I know it's almost, I, I, you know, I know they're supposed to be like very like sensing animals, almost right? like they sent that energy and they, they like came over to check it out. Almost like, look, we give ourselves permission. Come on guys. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was so cool. It, you're reminding me of an exercise I do when I do my full trainings, when I train people to actually do voice dialogue. So if it's helpful, I, this group, um, I say to them, go, you know, we, we do a group facilitation. So we start in the center and then I say, go to the self who with, and with their, and ha and be that self with your favorite substance. So you go to the self that adores the cocaine or just loves the champagne or whatever it is. So each self, I mean, sorry. So each person was mm -hmm. in their own substance. So I didn't say go to your beer drinking self. I just said, well, go to the self that loves the substance. Within one second, the room was relaxed. The pe people were uh, howling with laughter. They were high on their substance because people like different substances, right? Some people like Coke, other people like downers, people, you know, those are different selves and parts and related to our physiology. Then we came back to center and kind of how you described with the boat. It, there was such profound silence at first. 
because everyone realized you don't need the substance at mm. You want to feel loose and free and one with the universe because that's what we're aiming for. Again, the motivation is pure. We love the substance at first because it helps us mm-hmm. and then it traps us. But yeah. if you have social anxiety and a couple beers loosen you up, technically, from that sales point of view, it's like, well, then I yeah. that was a way to, to make friends. And so that's another way. But people have such fun just being going to their substance self. And then you could go to a different one too, because we have lots of them because caffeine is a substance self. Mm -hmm. You know, when I say it, it could be, it doesn't have to be illegal or, you know. Oh, sure. I, I mean, it, it could be a whole variety of things, really. There, there's lots of things that people do to bliss out or, you know, feel euphoric. So yeah, very cool. Very cool. So Before we kind of wrap up, I am so grateful to have you here with me today. And this has been such an amazing conversation. I want listeners to know where they can find information about your book. Um, And do you know what what day you're going to be teaching at the summit and what the title of your course is so that they can look that information up too? Excellent questions. Finaleighth.com. You can always find me there, literally final. And then the number eight TH, just Google it. And um, I've got tons of information on the final eighth itself and where you can order it, but also voice dialogue. I have videos of sessions so you can literally watch a session um and then uh, i think it's the 15th on the sunday that i'm teaching this year and it's an introduction to voice dialogue every year i do a version of voice dialogue and this year i'm doing how to enlist selves to help your clients as well as yourself accomplish your goals so we might go to resist ourselves and our visionary selves And over the years, I've done substance, the substance user, as well as the one that says you got to stop. So uh, this year, it'll be about which selves are pro-goal and which selves are anti-goal. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's so exciting. So I'm going to put all of that information in the show notes. And I also know that I have all of your social media um somewhere as well and i'm going to add that in the show notes because people can find you on facebook twitter instagram and youtube Ooh, youtube so i'll definitely make sure to put all of that in the show notes so that they can check out your videos linkedin as well i don't have that i but i have those accounts um but i can look it up yes on linkedin Well, thank you so much, Bridget. This has been awesome. I can't wait to get the book and integrate uh, some of this practice for my own um, self and growing and pushing the boundaries of not allowing myself to stay small and to continue to grow and move forward, Um, but also to help others with the same, um, including my clients. It just, this transfers so beautifully to a lot of parts related um, work that I like to do with clients anyway. Oh, I'm so glad. It's really empowering. 
It sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. Our conversation's been great. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Bridget as much as I enjoyed talking with her. I probably could have talked to her for uh, a couple of hours. I was so intrigued by everything that she had to say. Um, And I just really am fascinated by the work that she's doing and the way that she works in her practice. Um, There were a few key takeaways that I hope um, connect with you as much as they connected with me. And one is the message of self-compassion and how to be compassionate to yourself as you start to engage in new exciting endeavors and you feel resistance come up or you feel frustration come up. Um, you, you need to listen to them, be, be kind, hear, hear them out. What do they have to say? Uh, those messages are just as important and they may um, really be important to listen to as you shape your um, new business, right? So be compassionate. Um, The other key takeaway is listen. Listen to both the voices of those um, parts of the self that are really screaming loud and clear, like you can hear them narrating inside your mind, but also the not so narrated voices that may be showing up in somatic symptoms. Um, But that's partly why the somatic symptoms are present, right? They're trying to say like, oh, I don't like this anymore. Uh, Get me out of here. Um, whatever it is, but listen to those voices. They have lots of beautiful information to give us that can help us in our journey and, and make choices that are going to empower us to live the lives that we really want to live. And lastly, I think one of the most important, um, I think, uh, snippets, if you will, um, that, that she shared. It was a personal part of her journey of how she became so angry in the, the job that she was at. Um, and it created a, a crisis and, and she talked about how she was embarrassed, but that crisis that occurred I wanted to really take a was short break pinnacle to thank our because sponsor today, it was at that point um, which that is it really thrust her out film to do what she's if currently doing and having her own driving practice in New York City. Um, I think there's much more in our conversation. I, I know I certainly I can't think wait that to you'll find get a lot of value over there. Um, there are hundreds of things really stood out to me that are accessible um, things I hope that you take away too. And anyway, thanks so much for listening. Um, the arts and, and um, healing. Look forward to um, 
modalities. Being with you again so next time. Everything from intermodal. Thanks for um, listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, um, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever field, you listen to your favorite podcasts. Um, for show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com. Plus all different other kinds of films and past presentations. Um, so opportunities to learn and develop skills. There's individual subscription rates, which are super duper accessible and affordable, which allow you full access for an entire year to stream at your leisure. Um, all different kinds of films in the field. Um, or you could try one out just one at a time too. Um, but what is really happening and exciting is the film's live launch party. And that's going to be Saturday, May 22nd, between 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Facebook. And so if you want to participate in the live launch party, um, you can do so by first liking the Expressive Media Film Library page, which can be found facebook.com forward slash expressive media film library and once you're there you can you'll see the um, information that's posted about the party and that's where the live stream is going to happen um, and Judy Rubin who is the library curator, art therapy pioneer, filmmaker, author. Um, I had her interviewed her about the library on the podcast um, and that aired earlier this year. And I wanna say it was, um, I don't remember what episode it was, but if, if I recall correctly, it's like episode 37 or 38, Oh my gosh, really bad. Um, anyway, she's going to be there along with other um, expert and like well-known professionals in the field, sharing stories, talking about clinical um, experiences, tips, answering questions on a variety of topics. And um, there's going to be uh, opportunities to watch video clips from the extensive catalog of over 150 hours of arts therapies titles. Plus, there's going to be opportunities to win prizes, including autographed books by the guest speakers and more possible. Uh, it's possible to win access to the film library for free. And um, yeah, so follow their Facebook page so that you get all the information to be able to participate in that event. And again, that is facebook.com forward slash expressive media film library. And if I didn't mention it before, I'm going to be hosting uh, part of that day um, on the live stream too. So I look forward to seeing you and hearing your questions and comments um, then.